It's May 8th, 2011, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to a new episode of the show. We have a wonderful conversation in store for you, but before we start, I want to let you know that as part of my promotion for my new book, Chasing the Light, Peach Pit Press and I are going to be producing a short-run video podcast. The podcast is going to provide me the opportunity to talk about the different ideas that I discuss in the book, and I'm going to do this using images submitted by people just like you. The way we do it is simply by having you share images that you've uploaded to Flickr. You can find the group by just typing in Ibarian X Perella's Chasing the Light, which will take you to the page where you can add images to the photo pool. Now, we don't have a start date yet for the release of the podcast, but I welcome any and all of you to begin uploading images, particularly if they were inspired by some of the things you learned about in the book. Once the episodes are in production, I'll be announcing it on the show, as well as Facebook and Twitter, so keep an ear out. Today's guest, Richard Cochi Hernandez, was a photographer I discovered after watching a documentary on him on lynda.com. It was a very inspiring film, and if you have access to it, I really recommend you watch it. I know when I saw it, I was swept away by his passion and love of photography, and his desire to tell stories with a camera whether it's a photojournalistic piece or simply practicing street photography in San Francisco or the East Bay. Like me, he's been making images since he was a kid, and his obsession is one that I completely share, which is a big reason why I didn't waste any time contacting him and inviting him to appear on the show. So I hope you enjoy our conversation with Richard Cochi Hernandez. Richard, welcome to the Candid Frame. Uh, thank you for having me. It's exciting. I was uh, well. I'm, I'm. I was particularly excited to have the chance to talk with you after seeing that documentary that uh, has been airing on Lynda.com. And let's start with with your beginnings because I think it's really kind of interesting because a lot of people will probably know you for your photojournalistic work and for your multimedia work, but they'd be surprised to find out that your first inspiration was actually a landscape photographer, Ansel Adams. So (laughs) tell us about that. Yeah, no, it's, it was, it was quite an amazing, um, um, experience when I was about 14 years old being in, um, probably, arguably one of the most beautiful places in the world, that being Yosemite on a family vacation and um, walking into the Ansel Adams Gallery uh, for the first time and, and seeing the prints and the work that he had done. And then the experience, just an unforgettable experience of being able to walk right outside after seeing those images and seeing it, you know, basically, you know, 3D, 360 live around me, it was, it was 
really, really a powerful experience. And fortunately, at the time, <laughs> my uncle had a, a Nikon camera, or, or I, maybe I'm getting the model wrong, but it, it certainly, I forget, he had a, a film camera at the time that he had traded a friend um, for a lawnmower. There was some exchange <laughs> between a lawnmower and a camera. My uncle had a camera, and it was hanging on his shoulder, off of his shoulder, when we when we had walked out of the gallery. And... Um, I remember just asking him. I had no clue what I was doing. I had n- no concept of even how to work uh, a camera and asked him if I could, uh, you know, just take a picture. And right in front of me was was Half Dome. And I did that and kind of promptly gave him the camera back. And I was I was I, I think I was a madman on that trip. I, I basically just commandeered, which is a nice way of saying stealing that camera from my uncle, and just started snapping away at flowers, everything that moved. Um, so the initial yes, inspiration certainly was Ansel Adams and that experience. But right away, it was kind of the antics of 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 the people around me, particularly my family, that uh, I think kind of inspired me to kind of the next step which is you know basically putting uh, putting people in my in my pictures but yeah that certainly was the very very beginnings it, it was pretty pivotal um, experience uh, for me growing up what allowed you to sustain that because at 12 years old it seems like the interest of an adolescent is very brief and, and moves <laughs> on from one thing to another what do you think uh, sort of nurtured that that allowed you to remain focused on using the camera and not end up being caught up in something else you know i i, I don't know I, I wish i had an answer all i do know is that a switch was turned on it really it really was from that moment on my life was um very visually centered and focused and um uh, I saw everything almost through um, a camera frame. I don't. It was. It was just one of those wonderful, wonderful um, experiences that you that um, you'd really can't find the words for. I, I don't know. It, and it did. It was exactly that. I think you put it put it the right way. Uh, from that point on, I was singularly focused um, on uh, on photography, on visuals. Um, uh, I think I don't think I know that was also right about the time when um, I would just pester everyone around me to um, take me to movies over and over and over and over again. Um, so I don't I really don't know. I feel very lucky to have had that switch turned on and uh, kind of just had that energy um, or, you know, the way I say kind of energy go through me and just really never kind of uh, let up. When did when did the idea of storytelling come into play? Was that in your adolescence or did that happen when you got into college and you started showing an interest in, in, in photojournalism? Because I know you're really big about being able to tell a story visually. You're not just about making an individual photograph just for the sake of just making a pretty photograph. It seems like you're really driven by what you can communicate with, with imagery. Yeah, yeah. The the idea of story, um, um, again, is probably uh, one of those things really difficult. I think if I look, if I really do look back, I mean, um, 
what was happening around me in 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 my family i think i grew i had a a very um um uh interesting as many of us do interesting story growing up and the people around me were just there was just lots of stuff going on um and so personally i was immersed in in as we all are in my own story and the story of those around us and when i was really able to see that I could translate. It took a little while, but when I eventually got film processed and and looked at either at the time at the beginning, it was slides and then uh, prints, um, even my own pictures, which often, even to this day, I, I, I often don't even attribute to myself that I took them. So it's like, who who? Who took? It's almost like there's someone or something. I know this sounds very, <laughs> very, very out there, but it, it, it was. It's a way of saying I was able to look at my own pictures and read a story in them um, very early on um, that was even shocking or surprising to me as the person who snapped the picture. And and I really, really remember that. I remember just really simple. Um, um, images of, of members of my family, um, and making the connection of whether it was just a look in their eyes or their body language or a simple picture of the way I photographed my grandfather, but reading more of a story into it. Um, even though I knew the intimate details behind that uh, picture that I took, um, I began to really read a lot more into photographs and that story that we can we all create when we see a still image. So I just remember that happening early on and that power of, of it's something I don't find photographers discussing a lot is the impact. I think we get all very kind of humble and uh, around the idea of talking about how our own photographs make us feel and the power that they have to even surprise um us, I, I think sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, I'm creating it. I know what we're, what I'm doing and I'm framing it and, you know, I'm creating this thing. Um, but sometimes I think you can do that. And then the result when it sits in front of you as a print or it sits in front of you on your iPhone or your screen or however you're seeing it still has the power to tell a story and kind of shock and surprise. So it just happened early on and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy it did and it, it still happens for me. I think you're talking about that sort of quality, that moment, that gesture that a photographer can't really completely control, but that they have to be sensitive to in order to be ready to be able to capture that that moment. I think a lot of people, when they think about photography, they think about a photographer being in complete control of everything, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the frame, the camera, the exposure. But I think some of the best photographers really aren't so much are in, in control of everything, but sort of just, just ready, just open <laughs> for, for serendipity, for luck, for chance to happen and then just make that moment. And when I take a look at, at your imagery and I hear you talk about it, I think that's what you sort of, sort of are tapping into. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, you just described what it, what, what the experience is for me, what keeps me coming back for more. It's, you know, the happy accidents, the surprises, the, it's kind of the art of discovery. In fact, the more 
you learn about photography, the more I learned about photography, the more I uh, stripped away all of the technical aspects of it and realized how simple it could be. Um, I'm, you know, people are always shocked. I'm like, oh no, I spent, you know, uh, 15 years of my career on auto. (laughs) You know, I mean, I shot with, you know, a Holga, a plastic camera where I couldn't set an aperture or shutter speed if I tried. And it was about more about those kind of happy accidents, those moments, those, um, those, you know, it really is kind of being, being ready and, and kind of being, you know, just that, vessel i know it's very it's funny how very spiritual it has become for me but it is very very much um that kind of experience for me and i think that's why i keep um you know i've kept doing it for so long it's fascinating to to see you as a big proponent of multimedia of storytelling of video and sound and still and combining all these things and yet you're on the street with the lomo shooting film oh yeah and I, I think people will be very surprised as as to why you go out there on the street and with a camera that harkens back to the stone age <laughs> <laughs> no i mean you know it, it's funny and now now and you know um uh, I now I'm all ab- I am all about my iPhone right now right now uh, the thing that I love about photography and this medium and uh, still imagery in general or video whatever it is is that I, I kind of see it like a painter who was who had a jar of brushes and three colors and, and, and basically that's all they were allowed to paint with. And you can do great things with, you know, three brushes and, and red, green and blue. Um, but when somebody comes and, um, drops in that jar of paintbrushes, 10 more brushes and throws 12 more tubes of, of, uh, color possibilities at you. Um, there are some people who freak out over that and go, no, 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 I'm only going to do what I know. And then there are people like me who go, oh, this is amazing. And I change my camera as often as I change my, you know, t-shirt. Uh, one day it's the Lomo and that's what I'm excited about and it's film. And the next day it's, um, uh, my iPhone and processing, uh, you know, images on the iPhone. The next day it's back to, you know, two and a quarter uh, i'll break out a pin a real pinhole camera i'll do it to me it's those are just the brushes um it's a way to get somewhere um it's a way to challenge myself it's a way to um you know explore to limit myself or to expand or to really play with so it for me you know one day you're going to see me with the lomo and that day may stretch into um being super excited about the lomo and the holga um i think i had a love affair with the holga that probably lasted you know, way too long. Um, and I even brought it into, I mean, I, I'll never forget the first time I was uh, getting Holga images published in, in a newspaper and people were like, really? I'm like, yeah, I would show up to assignment. People thought it was a joke. I'm like, no, it's it, at the time it was a $15 plastic camera, but no, I'll, I'll, you, I, I get very excited about any tool that helps me, um, tell better stories or make better um, uh, still images or or video, whatever whatever it is. You worked at the at the Chronicle for I think fifteen years. It's actually the San Jose Mercury. San Jose Mercury News. Yeah. Excuse yeah. me. And tell me about that process of being at that paper and 
extending your desire to not only make images, but to, to tell stories? How did that sort of shape and change the way you not only made photographs, but how you saw your role as, as a storyteller? It, it, for me, it was a more, it was the most traditional um, aspect of telling stories with a camera. I was actually still continued to be shocked that I was employed there for so long and that I got a job there um, in the first place because my initial um, uh, instincts in storytelling, I, I don't think were um, as traditional or as focused towards a newspaper. Um, I... Um, I liked um maybe a little uh a little kind of a dark well maybe not darker dark is the right word but a lot of my images um even back then had a, a fairly heavy kind of a heavy hand almost a a perspective or 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 a commentary and in journalism in pure photojournalism um you're supposed to remove or do your best to remove yourself as the uh storyteller and have the image be more about um, the person. And um, so that was actually learning that experience, a kind of a trial uh, by fire and, and, and learning to temper, um, you know, putting too much of myself in my, my imagery or making choices that were, you know, a lot more artistic and a lot more, you know, kind of heavy handed, um, you know, the hand of the artist being a, a lot more interpretive and learning to kind of uh, lean back a little bit and, and to let the subject talk a little bit more. I'll, I'll put it in, in this kind of uh, perspective. I think, um, this will help clarify. But before I really, really got into journalism, um, the work of, uh, and some people will fall off their chair, I know, the work of people like Dorothea Lang did nothing for me. It, it just, it was too, it, there wasn't enough um, in my naive young mind uh, of Dorothea Lang in in her images. Now I know better, but back then I didn't. The idea of, of being able to compare um, uh, different kinds of storytellers when I was, when I was starting at the Mercury News and the idea that, um, uh, learning to appreciate, uh, more of, of what you might call a hands-off approach or more of really allowing the subject and the story to drive the images and not, uh, uh, myself to remove myself as much as I could, which is actually a fantastic experience. I think that the best visual storytellers do a really good balance of, um, of knowing, uh, how much of themselves or their style to bring to the story, um, when to ratchet that, that up and when to kind of pull it back and find a happy medium. So, so spending that time in, 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 in journalism and in, in what I kind of call pure, uh, you know, ethical, uh, storytelling, um, was just an amazing, um, experience for me. Um, so, you know, it was really kind of a powerful, um, um, medium to, 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 to kind of play around in, I, I guess. Was there, um, a particular time, maybe a story that really made you aware of, of that potential that you're speaking of? Because, for a lot of photojournalistic work, you can go out there and it's, you know, spot news events. It's not necessarily storytelling, but did you have a particular moment when you realized, 
wow, what I have the potential to do is really amazing. And its potential is just beyond what I may have initially thought. Um, you know, it, it was, and it, it's funny, it, it happened on a very, there wasn't this big epiphany or, or big uh, event. It happened in, in small doses over time working in basically a community while the San Jose Mercury News, the experience of working at that paper is, is more of a, more of a metro feel. You know, most people don't realize San Jose is actually the biggest city in the Bay Area. Most people like to point to San Francisco, but, but being in, and I still look at that experience as kind of a community, um, experience, uh, and, on a daily basis, making some simple portraiture on some simple stories um, and then going back out into the community and hearing people's response like, oh, you're, uh, that was you who took that picture. And, you know, getting that, uh, you know, regular kind of uh, ego stroking feedback about your imagery was, was one thing. But then when you could see that your images made a difference on another level, be it um, an economic level, the power that, 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 a picture on what we would call B1, the local section, a simple, straightforward, Dorothea Lang-esque portraiture with very simple light and very simple framing and really letting the subject eyes, you know, kind of pierce through or come through or the very simple story of their body language or whatever they were experiencing at that time come through and have the, their experience change, like uh, uh, getting reader responses, getting money, getting, um, you know, finding that we you go back to the story and somebody has helped this person or done something to better their life or made connections. So for me, it really happened over a long period um, of time on kind of several levels to really appreciate. I think that's why I stayed at the Mercury News um, for so long. I mean, for photography in general, it's such an exciting um, uh, career and you can go a million different ways. But for me to see that I could get some self kind of uh, gratification out of it and also that I what I was doing, the simple stories I was telling, um, had the power to change um, people's um, organizations' lives on a daily basis, even if it was something um, small, was just super, super powerful mm. for me. Well, you helped found the sort of multimedia arm of, of the paper at one point at a time when that was not even being con considered. Um, tell us about why was it that you were drawn to incorporating motion and sound into, into your storytelling arsenal and how was it received and what did you have to go through in, in order to make that happen? Uh, it, 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 believe it or not, being in, in the center of, of, of Silicon Valley at, at the time uh, that I was doing this, which was the early 90s, which was, you know, really um, um, an amazing time in Silicon Valley. We were getting assignments um, to go uh, 
cover places. I'll never forget getting these assignments. Um, first of all, not really even being able to pronounce the name of the company I was going to photograph. I don't know, something called, is, is that how you say it? Google or Yahoo and not knowing these people and, um, you know, photographing them. So th- there was a really explosive uh, time in innovation in Silicon Valley. And we are around that time. But believe it or not, it wasn't the, we weren't as as a news organization at that time weren't being as forward thinking as the companies around us. Um, but what was happening was that, um, and, and this may be too much detail, but it, it was the reality of what sparked this change was that. Um, the, the the news hole, as we call it, was shrinking. We were coming from a paper. I was working at a paper where we, we had room to breathe. We were able to publish two or three images from a story. Um, and two or three images ha- can have a lot of power. You can tell a lot of, quote, unquote, story in two or three images. Um, and the news hole was shrinking. We were – there was less – um, uh, paper for us to put images um, into. So we, you would go to an assignment. Maybe you had one image um, to put out there. And you can still do the, the greatest storytellers can tell a great story in, in one image. But for us, it was like, oh, we, we, we felt we still wanted as a, as a department, myself as a storyteller, to still put out more imagery. Um, and so um, it was right about the time of the internet, of course, was happening and uh, going online and, and seeing the potential and the power, the limitless power of, 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 of the internet and the web to publish at almost as much as you want, which is both a good and a bad thing. Um, but, uh, that, wow, well, okay, we can get one image in the paper, but we could get, um, 12 images in a slideshow, a simple click through slideshow on uh, the web. That would be amazing. Let's do it. Let's do it. So it was almost kind of a, a selfish, let's get our images out there. Let's get more of them out there. Um, but it was an exciting time. And it, as far as the video and the audio, I think that inside every still photographer no matter how passionate you are about the still image there is a filmmaker a someone who wants to see those images move for a little while um you want to experiment there is that uh, uh, inner quentin tarantino (laughs) in every still photographer and and when you look back at history um all all of all of the greats many of the greats uh, played around with it robert frank cardiac they all picked up a, a film camera at some point. And whether you stick with it or not or whether you really bring it into your re- repertoire of, of, of storytelling um, is another thing. But for me, that was also happening at that time of, of the web and, and all of these kinds of things. So um, I basically, you know, myself and, and another colleague, um, we taught ourselves everything. We were working full-time jobs. We didn't have time to go back to school or to really take classes. And, and we learned, we, we, we did some searches and found out what the basic language of the web uh, was that we would need to know to make, you know, an interactive audio slideshow. We learned that it was Flash and at the time, you know, some HTML and some Dreamweaver. And we spent really, really late nights um, up until the wee hours, um, after our initial shifts uh, at the paper had ended, to learn 
this kind of stuff so that we could take our stuff and the stuff of our colleagues, package it, put it on a website, um, and allow the viewers to see it. And we did that. And it took us a while, but we eventually did it. And the newspaper at the time, and it's okay to speak ill of, of, of the dead because <laughs> the, the organization, the, the company, I should say, uh, no longer, um, exists that actually owned the Mercury News. But at the time, um, they just were not at all interested in anything visual for the web. Believe it or not, they were just, they, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. They, it was almost at a time where they just wanted um, their website, their newspaper website to reflect what the newspaper was uh, to a T, which was a lot of long, long words and maybe one or two images. And that was it. And it really was uh, an uphill battle for us, uh, so much so that we used our own money um, to quietly um, get our own hosting and put our own uh, image. We figured we'd put all this work into it. We might as well just uh, put it up on the web, on the internet, just to see if it really does work, right? Will this will this slideshow really work? It's When you build something on your computer is one thing. When you actually put it out in the internet and, and, and go to it from your home uh, to see if it really works. So we put it out there um, and we, we spent our own money. We put up the web website and it really was just for us and for the internal you know our department just to go hey look what we did uh look at the potential here and just by word of mouth just by um family members and and other members of the photo community that we were giving the uh the uh, url out to um we were actually getting um numbers not big numbers but numbers enough that we could actually um, and it was the first time you could do this I mean, you could actually track what people were doing how many visitors you were getting we were able to go back to um, the the management back to the company and say you know I think look not uh, we told you that we thought there was some interest here um, but actually look at the number of people that were coming so it was after that that they really took a chance on us and kind of allowed us to expand mm. and, and play a little bit more but it very much was just kind of a skunk works, just kind of we did it ourselves and, and put it out there. One of the things that you said in the documentary with respect to Ansel Adams' work was that he didn't just make pictures that look good, but he created pictures that made you feel something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that that was a big inspiration for you. In mm-hmm. terms of multimedia, how important do you think it is that that making people feel something as as much as as using the piece to inform people you know i it's probably my biggest um 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 I'm passion now is to see how much of that that I can instill in people that I'm teaching or in my own work um I think that with all of the noise and when i say noise not all noise is bad noise i mean there's certainly is some good noise around us but with all of the information with all of the stories with all of every uh, visual video audio every piece of, of media that's out there i think what becomes the most powerful asset the most powerful detail um the things that 
that, that really keeps people glued to, I could care less what size of the screen it is, whether it's a small screen, a big screen, a medium screen, is that idea that you're making people feel something. It's beyond kind of, uh, you know, the visual candy. It's, it's that your, what you're presenting to other people isn't just, you know, information. It's that you're creating a document, a story, some piece of audio that actually makes someone really feel something. Um, and if you can do that for um, a sustained amount of time, so to speak, for a minute, for two minutes, for uh, six minutes, 12 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, um, that you have power and that you can actually um, kind of maybe, aff- I don't know about affecting change, but that you can keep, it sounds very uh, crude, but you keep butts in the seats longer. I mean, that's the point of anybody creating anything is that you actually want people to see what you're doing. Doing and you want them to see all of it. You want them to see the arc. You want them to see the beginning, the middle, and the end. And if you're not giving them something that they can identify with in a real kind of powerful feeling, then they're going to click to the next piece of noise. They're going to move on. Um, and I think that uh, it's something that we took um, for granted in storytelling um, and that we've kind of gone through a phase of, oh, well, it looks pretty and there's a lot of, you know, things moving and there's a lot of kind of, um, you know, pretty things. Um, but what, you know, what's there that is actually making me feel some kind of human connection or something? I mean, we go on and on about the uh, what kind of feelings. But I think it's very, very, very powerful to add that and to think about that idea of of what your story, what feeling your story, your image, whatever you're putting out there is is trying to convey to your audience. Isn't, isn't there the potential for conflict, though, in terms of in a traditional journalistic sense, it's all about just the facts. But when you start <laughs> <Yeah>. involving feelings, <laughs> all it becomes uh, a territory where there's a little more gray involved, where <laughs> where all of a sudden opinion starts informing the news. So how do you how do you negotiate <laughs> that, especially with your students, for whom a lot of this is a fairly new new concept? It's it, that's why I uh, exactly why I said earlier why I'm shocked that I actually have had a career in <laughs> in journalism for so long. You know, it's a gray. It, it certainly is a gray line that has to be um, walked and maneuvered um, with a lot of care and a lot of, um, of, of 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 thought to exactly what you're saying, um, and that's what I'm what I want to do, what I want to try and explore. I think that um, you can't be afraid of that. And you have to be able to kind of go out to the edge and, and see how far you can push it and, and fall on your face and fail. I mean, failure in journalism is, is really not supposed to happen. I mean, we're supposed to be right all the time. We're supposed to never fail. And I think unless we fail on, on many levels, even in our storytelling, um, we're not going to learn. We're not going to go, um, any further. We're not going to, uh, evolve as, as storytellers. And I think that we should. And, you know, I may find that I am completely wrong and off base and, um, 
and uh, it's not working. Um, but I'm not going to know that until I go out and really kind of uh, fall on my face. So I think these, this idea and, and you know the intensity of which I speak with it may not be the same intensity that you would bring to a story and put that much feeling in it. But I think this idea which always plagued me as a journalist that you know you're, you this objectivity i think objectivity is kind of uh, of dead in, in some sense i mean it's so funny i'm so anti the web and everything we hear now is everything's dead journalism's dead uh photojournalism's dead i'm always anti that i've always wanted to write a blog post of everybody be quiet nothing's <laughs> dead but and here i am saying you know objectivity is dead um but uh, it, it's just a sensational way of, of of saying i think we were kind of fooling you cannot be a human being a journalist and not have opinions and feelings of 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 what you're covering now you know we can get into a very long scholarly debate about how you don't let those feelings um, cloud your coverage and all of those things and and of course that is especially in the school of journalism um, what we aspire to and what we teach I think that um, this idea this kind of murky um, thing we're talking about uh, feeling can can go you know to an extreme or 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 um it's kind of muddy and and all i'm saying is i've always played in in kind of the mud and and i'm i'm happy to play there um and even if i play in the mud by myself and i'm not bringing my my students in um and i'm kind of testing the water i'm certainly willing to to uh to do that and see where it where it where it takes at least me as a storyteller so what's the mud that you're playing in now what's the kind of what are the kind of stories or ideas that you want to explore and, and share with people? I know that you're doing a, a good amount of teaching at the University of Berkeley at, uh, at the Graduate School of Journalism, but in terms of your own personal projects and the things that really are putting the fire in your belly, what what is that leading you to? Um, you know what's really, really the the fire in my belly right now. The thing I'm having, a, you know, a passionate relationship right now with, is is the idea of how is is digital photography. And, and we know that. Listen, the digital revolution has been around for a long time, and all of these kinds of things. Um, but the idea of is really sunk into me, and I may be really late to the party, but right now it's 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 still. It's just something I, I cannot get out of my mind. I can't shake the power that we have in a mobile device to create and then um, I, I don't know why I like to think of it this way. Maybe it's an old darkroom term we used to call putting things in the soup, but cooking, how you can cook an image on an iPhone, how you can put it through a filter and put it through this and bring all of this kind of, it's an old idea of, of manipulation and how far is too far and what really is the truth and what really isn't the truth. I know a, 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 a colleague of mine named Damon Winter got um, um, really, uh, he won a, won a big prize in photojournalism, and um, it was from uh, a pictures of his iPhone that he had taken from uh, from uh, uh, Afghanistan, I believe. And people were just up in arms of the idea that, oh my gosh, these were taken with an iPhone app, and that's just not real journalism. And no, 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 no. And I kept looking at the images and 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 playing with my own device and going, um, 
there's what he was conveying was feelings and and what he did wasn't um manipulation and he didn't go too far and funny enough i went and looked at uh some of the other images in the contest which were clearly if you ask me much more highly manipulated in photoshop and that whole oh, they kind of went back to that whole you know too much toning and all of this kind of kind of idea but these bigger ideas which have been around for a lot i mean people have written books on them and, and whatnot um um, but are really uh, at kind of the forefront of, 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 of my thinking, of my practice on a personal level, level taking a lot of uh, images with, with my mobile device, um, uh, cooking them up, uh, um, thinking about what's too far, what isn't too far. You know, I, there is clearly a line between when, when I'm doing journalism and when I'm doing, let's call it art, um, but the more and more I see my students, the power that they have to, in one click of a button, quote unquote, change the reality of, of an image of a situation, um, it's really got me thinking that I need to be out there playing in that mud, um, seeing, you know, what's too far, what isn't too far what's acceptable what isn't acceptable because no one else is is out there doing it there are believe it or not no definitive um rules um really about this in journalism a few organizations um have tried but nobody's really gone out there and said you know this is too far and this is uh you know okay and those kinds of things and i think as journalists as visual storytellers um uh, uh, producing journalism it's something that we're really really going to have to take a harder look at and we have to do it a lot sooner um, than later because technology just just it it, it changes literally um, overnight yeah. and so it you know it, it's just something that i'm 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 thinking about um, and this kind of keeps me up at night and at the same time is very empowering i mean uh, as an artist it's an amazing um, tool, an amazing brush to have in my palette to be able to pick up something so small and it has so much power to one, create, just to snap something beautiful, then to, um, 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 I don't want to call it manipulate it, but to kind of cook it up, to, 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 to beautify it more, to make it prettier. You know, I mean, that's what Ansel did, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Ansel, when, when you look at, when you when you're standing in and oh, of course you know, Ansel Adams wasn't particularly a, a journalist, but I mean still the tradition of even in journalism uh, of of working things up in the darkroom a bit. And I mean we can get you know and I do we get into very long classes about the choice of a lens is manipulating and limiting mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things and what really is and isn't reality. Um, but just that idea of of of, of doing that uh, uh, w- with the device and then the power that you have to immediately disseminate that image to the world in seconds is really 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 powerful so if nothing else i'm swimming in these waters to be able to help guide or to participate in the conversation with my students about what's too far what isn't too far uh using this technology um and keeping it you know as pure and ethical um as we possibly can and also not to overreact that it's i mean you have students that come and go oh you know i changed the saturation here just a little bit it's like oh that's okay don't freak out you know that's all right um or whatever so that's kind of where i'm where i'm swimming right now you know a lot of the conversation is often about the creation of the content but i think Mm -hmm. just in just as importantly it's the distribution of it Mm -hmm. and i'm sure that you've had discussions with your with your compatriots and the students about 
it's fantastic that you're producing all this amazing work, but it means very little if you don't find an audience for it. So, <laughs> so what are you doing in terms of your own work and the work of your students to make sure that it, it finds an audience? Uh, it's put it everywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. I, there isn't a new uh, anything that doesn't come out where I don't put my um, uh, hang, hang, hang a picture somewhere, uh, hang a story somewhere. I think that it is so difficult to predict where audiences will go and where audiences are. And I think oftentimes um, by the time, especially as a storyteller, you think they're on Facebook. By the time you realize that, they're probably already gone and on to the next thing. Um, I'm really fortunate in that I have a 13-year-old. So I, uh, uh, you know, being a responsible parent, um, always understanding, uh, eavesdropping as to what's going on and what the latest, greatest thing is. Or, But I'm, you know, uh, I try and put um, my work out um, everywhere, my stories out everywhere. Um, uh, Vimeo, YouTube, you know, Instagram is the new buzzword now. Um, whatever it is, posturous, Tumblr. I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was reading an article just recently about how, oh, great, you know, the New York Times and the LA Times are finally on Tumblr. Like, a month ago. Well, Tumblr's been around for, you know, that whole idea of, of being late to the party. And so, I, I mean, that's it. it. It sounds kind of um, naive uh, and, and simplistic, but I think that you just have to, you know, if you want to play, you have to play um, just about everywhere. You have to, you know, go to every little sandbox there is and, and play around and see and put your work out there. Um, and you really don't know. Um, it's really hard to predict uh, where audiences are and where your work is going to um, really resonate. Um, you, you know, your stories are going to resonate. And, and sometimes you really find that, oh, wow, there's, there's the audience. There's the audience I've been looking for. And they just happen to be here in this little niche blog publication or in this little niche um 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 uh you know social media uh, thing that doesn't get a lot of attention um so i think you know it's it's a good idea to be able to kind of uh put your work out everywhere not be afraid of 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 anything or or or, or any place to put your work out of as journalists we're, we kind of get very oh you know twitter oh facebook you know this whole idea of no you, you have to be out there you have to be where audiences are so i'm a big proponent of just you know letting it all hang out wherever it needs to be. <laughs> well, the last question I always ask is that I ask my guests to recommend or suggest another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone who you've recently discovered who, so who would that one person be and why? Um, you know, um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw, 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 throw this out there two ways. One, I have never as a visual person, um, been so excited slash addicted to anything as I am and, and no affiliation to to Instagram as a way of of of, of sharing um, images and 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 being part of a community um, and I and this leads into uh, discovering um, 
a, a photographer on there whose work I just really, really admire. Um, his name is Dan uh, Christea, and uh, he is uh, an amazing, amazing photographer, really kind of pushing uh, the medium. And, and he's kind of outside of, 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 of uh, you know, pure journalism does a lot of street photography, but also does a lot of playing around with the brushes of, of mobile photography. That's really been, um, inspiring to me. And, and what I love about him and a lot of other people on there is that they're not the traditional people that, you know, it's not Cartier. It's all this. uh, They're wonderful. They're masters or they're why we are today. But I think the beauty of the times that we're living in now is that you can discover someone um, that you've never heard of and you can see the amazing work that they're doing. And, and Dan is, 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 is one of those people. And I'm very happy to have found an audience in, in you know, using, using that, um, that social network, so to speak, um, and, and found him as a photographer and just purely, really just pure passion about about the medium and, and, and the community that's kind of going on there. So Dan is really just recently, and it's just been a couple of weeks. I just can't get enough of, 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 of what he's doing. And it has made me wonder like, you know, like, gosh, is, you know, people like, like Dan or, or anybody out there, have we all always been this creative and only because technology has allowed us to see each other's creativity, um, that I realize how creative people are or has the technology actually given us the tools uh, to be creative. It's a question I know I'll never really, uh, answer in my mind, but it is just, it's really fascinating to me. Um, and, and so that art of discovering, just discovering how many creative photographers and, and, and people out there are. And Dan is just a great example of that, that I just, uh, recently kind of stumbled upon. I'm very happy to have found his work and on a daily basis, um, finding other people's works and websites and whatnot is, is for me just as fun and exciting and powerful as finding a picture myself, as turning that corner and going, oh my gosh, look at that guy in the hat walking through that beautiful light or whatever it is, um, you know, um, uh, wow, look at the picture that somebody took. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where I am right now. And where can people find you? Um, RichardCochiHernandez.com, I think is, is, is the landing, the landing spot to, 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 uh, all places where I am. Um, and, uh, that's where they can find me. Well, thank you, Richard. Uh, it was wonderful to talk to you this morning. Same here. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me for another episode. If you have any comments, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also join us on Flickr, Facebook, and Twitter. Links to each can be found on the website. The editor for this episode was Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And this is Abarian X Perella, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.